0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It seems to me that our readings today are calling us to spend some time reflecting upon God's voice and God's presence, particularly when there is trouble in mind or trouble in the land. Allow me, if you will, to begin by telling you a decidedly non-scriptural story about a priest who was troubled by a major decision he had to make. He logically considered his options, but more than anything else, he wanted to do the will of God. And so he prayed mightily, repeatedly asking the Lord to reveal just what he should do. This went on for a couple of weeks, but still he was no clearer. So finally, one day, down on his knees in the chapel, he prayed, Lord, I am at a loss, and I really need a word or a sign from you. What should I do? Just then he heard a voice. He was certain it was the voice of God. And in answer to his urgent query, what should I do? The voice unmistakably said, I don't care. (laughs) Similarly, several years ago, I myself was wrestling with a major decision. And as I am wont to do, I researched my options, (laughs) I listed the pros and the cons of each, and then I proceeded to mentally bounce back and forth between the options ad nauseum, as I am also wont to do. My anxiety about this choice continued to rise for I felt that I was not getting any closer to to a decision. One evening, I was sitting on my couch, worrying, anxious, stressed out. And just then, a thought welled up inside of me with such clarity and truth that I can only describe it as the voice of God. And it matter-of-factly said, hold on to your hats for this one, you're not going to be satisfied with any of these options. There's more, wait, there's more. (laughs) Until you get your prayer life in order. Proving that God Almighty truly wrote the book on giving unsolicited advice. (laughs) I didn't even get the dramatic calling of my name, you know, Joe, Joe, or the opportunity to say, speak, God just spoke. And the message, it literally startled me because it was not connected to any thought that I had been having. I had not at that moment been actively praying, and I certainly hadn't been thinking about anything as lofty as my overall prayer life. Even though the message manifested in silent thought as opposed to audible sound, I experienced it as actually originating from outside of me, penetrating deep into my soul in order to emerge in my conscious mind. For my conscious mind had been, in the words of the gospel, harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And there was truly nothing inside of me that seemed capable of producing such a wise and grounded message. Now, someone trained in psychology might offer another explanation for what I experienced that evening. There is, after all, a whole realm of the human mind that is beyond conscious thought, and that's quite all right. But somewhere along the line, I've gotten to know Jesus for myself, and I know that that night I had not only an inner experience, but I also had a divine encounter. You see, the voice of God has this way of cutting right through the circumstances that we're in and the preoccupations that we have and delivering a message that has the undeniable ring of truth. The boy, Samuel, as he is called in the lesson, had a vivid encounter with God in the midst of some difficult spiritual and political circumstances for the entire people of Israel there was trouble in the land. If you think back to the prior chapter, you'll recall that Eli is the chief priest at Shiloh, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas have been up to no good. When the people come to make their sacrifices to the Lord, they've gotten greedy and they've been taking extra for themselves. They've been lying with the women at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They've been going against the established rules and norms. They've been using the system for their own material gain and to satisfy their personal appetites. The word has gotten out far and wide as to how corrupt these two are. And in the passage after today's reading, the boy Samuel receives and must deliver to Eli a message foretelling their downfall. You have to admire the way the text sets the stage for the boy Samuel's encounter with God in the midst of these circumstances. We read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and that visions were not widespread. Perhaps the scandals had distracted the people and drained their spiritual resources. Then continuing with the themes of vision and sight, we are told that Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. I'm no biblical scholar, but something tells me that that's not simply a literal description of Eli's condition, it is also figuratively evoking the declining state of Eli's priesthood due to his son's corruption and his own inability to restore order. The text also mentions that both Eli and Samuel are lying down, which suggests that in this moment they share in the condition of quietness and restfulness, that their defenses are down. But the detail that stands out the most to me and that causes my spirit to stir is this statement that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now we know from the book of Exodus that the lamp of God was located in the sanctuary and that it was required to burn throughout the night. So this detail provides a sense of where and when the calling of Samuel takes place but I think I sensed just a little bit more symbolism here as well. Spiritual vision was lacking in Israel, but the lamp of God had not gone out. God's truth yet lived. Samuel and the other books in the Deuteronomistic history depict fascinating human leaders engaged with interior struggles and external threats. Eli and Saul and David, to name a few. It recounts different forms of leadership, and it includes various perspectives on whether or not the monarchy is even such a good idea. But the underlying message is that through all the human machinations, failings, and even successes, God will make the divine presence known and the divine voice heard. This text wants it to be known that however troubled our circumstances may be and however troubled our leaders may prove themselves, God is still on the throne waiting for that moment when our defenses are down to call us by name, to stand before us. I love the way it says he came, stood before Samuel and sp- to speak to us the word of truth. But sometimes I worry that with all our modern sophistication, the word of the Lord is rare and visions are not widespread. How often do we hear God's voice or feel God's presence, but in contrast to Samuel's faithful response, we choose not to listen. Instead, paying attention to all the other voices that are available to us on Facebook or Twitter. Now, don't leave out of here and tell somebody that I'm against social media, because I'm not. But the distortions that we wholeheartedly and uncritically consume day in and day out may keep us from recognizing the ring of truth when we hear it. Our planet is heating up, possibly beyond repair, crying out for attention. But our distraction by lies and social divisions seemingly knows no bounds. Blessed James Theodore Holly, today is his feast day, was, according to the historian Dr. J. Carlton Hayden, a man of great vision, despite his times, despite the challenges and distortions that came along with being born a black man, even a free black man in the era of racial slavery. was born, in fact, just across the river in DC. Though raised Roman Catholic, he eventually made his way to the Episcopal Church, and he went on to become the first African-American bishop as Bishop of Haiti. And this is the truly amazing thing about Bishop Holly: Despite the institution of slavery that cemented racial division in American society, he was convinced of the church's Catholicity According to again historian Hayden, when Holly, and I'm quoting, when Holly insisted that the church was Catholic, he meant that the church was for all humankind, regardless of race or nationality. Holly said the church was Catholic, not European, not white. The church was no more European than was humankind European. Moreover, in an age That held ideas of black inferiority as sacred, Holly believed that black people had not only a noble past but also a great destiny. And it was in part this vision that led him to Haiti, which was the only nation where enslaved blacks had successfully revolted, overthrown white domination, and established an independent nation. Note, he didn't go to Haiti, and now this is me talking, he didn't go to Haiti because he thought he could save the world. He went because in the story of that nation he saw the strength and the beauty of black people, a notion that at that time in America only the voice of God could have instilled. I don't know exactly when or how James Theodore Holley heard the voice of God calling him or felt God's presence guiding him But his life, his ministry, and his vision make it clear that the lamp of God had not gone out even when there was serious trouble in this land. And hear this loud and clear. The lamp of God is not dependent upon you or me or Brother Samuel or Bishop Holly. It symbolizes the reality of God's voice and presence moving and acting in this world taking the initiative to touch our lives and our societies when nothing else can help. When we, like shepherdless sheep, are harassed and helpless. No, the lamp of God has not yet gone out. In our own day, its light may shine on the modern likes of a miracle boy named Samuel, whose mother Hannah thought she would never have a child. Or it may shine on the likes of an unbowed black man like James Theodore Holly. Or it may shine on a child lying on a pallet in a detention camp at the southern border. Or it may shine on some students in Europe who walked out of school because they're tired of waiting for adults to stop wrecking the planet. Wherever the lamp shines, wherever the voice, the voice of God is calling. Rest assured that God is already preparing someone's heart to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen.